Welcome to Dad Talk Today. The podcast for dads facing some of the toughest moments of their lives. We are here to walk with men through divorce, keep them connected to their kids, help them understand their rights, and work for change in family law courts. Moms, you are always welcome too. We are all about advocating for shared parenting and doing what is best for our kids. Let's get started. Here is your host, Eric Carroll. Hey everybody, welcome to Dad Talk Today. I am your host, Eric Carroll, joined as always by Melissa Isaac. And tonight we have Mr. Larry Clayman on the podcast. Larry, how you doing? Very good. Nice to see you guys, Eric and Melissa. My pleasure. My honor. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for coming here. I know that you founded Judicial Watch. Could you tell everybody a little bit about that? Well, I founded it in 1994. I had been a lawyer for 17 years, toiling in the legal system. I had seen a lot of intellectually dishonest and otherwise judges, particularly on the federal bench. And I reached a, a boiling point, in effect. There was a judge in Los Angeles that frankly was bigoted to everybody in the courtroom except the plaintiffs, including yours truly. And I decided that I would start Judicial Watch. It meant watching judges. And then I turned it around to try to use the judges to watch the other two branches of government. We became kind of a private justice department for the people and it took off. Corruption is a growth industry, almost like I think Batman may agree with me. And that's, uh, that's what we did ever since. And then in, nine, in 2003, I left to run for the U.S. Senate. I didn't win. I came out and I started a group called Freedom Watch, which does today what Judicial Watch used to do when I ran it, brings hard-hitting cases, citizens' grand juries, tries to keep the government and legal system less dishonest, I say, no longer honest, but less dishonest. And that's what I do. So, Larry, that was back in the 90s when you saw all this judicial corruption. Um, and in your experience, has it gotten any better or has it continued to get well, worse? It's much worse today. <laughs> you, know, you can gauge with almost 100% certainty on the kind of cases that I bring in my public interest capacity. Of course, I have cases with you, Melissa, in my private capacity. Mm -hmm. But you can guess how the judges are going to rule just based on which president appointed them. And President Trump was absolutely right many months ago when a, a judge in, in uh, Oakland, California, by the name of John Tiger, enjoined his asylum immigration policy. Tiger, not coincidentally, is the son of Michael Tiger, a infamous leftist activist who was fired by Justice Brennan for his subversive ties to Fidel Castro at the request of J. Edgar Hoover. This is the guy who ruled against Trump. He's a chip off the old block. But it, it's really bad in the federal courts today. I try to stay out as much as possible, bring cases in state courts where the judges are accountable to the people at the ballot box. And to make a long story short, it was our great founding father, Jefferson, who foresaw the problem. He didn't want federal judges. Mm -hmm. He said that because they're unelected and because they'll have lifetime tenure, they don't really, but they thought they did, they're going to be out of control tyrants someday, but despots. And that's what we've seen happen, not just with regard to constitutional issues, but just issues in general is that, and I'll be brief uh, so we can move on, but there's a case called Bell Atlantic versus Twombie, which these federal judges are twisting. And it says that if a complaint has any plausibility, it must be allowed to go to discovery and potentially to a jury. Mm -hmm. the judges turn that on their heads, federal judges. Now they say that we get to decide what's plausible or not. And if we don't like the case, we're going to dismiss it. And that's what they've been doing 
uh, in greater frequency. Uh, it's very political, it's very partisan, it's very intellectually dishonest. And you know, Melissa, in our 244 year history, we have only impeached eight federal judges, about one every wow. 30 some years. And one of the last judges who was impeached, Alice Hastings from the Southern District of Florida for bribery. After mm -hmm. he was impeached, he ran for the U.S. Congress. He's been there ever since. Oh, my goodness. Right out, it's right out of a, uh, the movie Distinguished Gentleman by Eddie Murphy. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's that bizarre. Well, you're right. When Even in state court, when clients bring in um, petitions or pleadings, and first thing I do is I look back and I see who the judge is on the case because that determines the course of the case. It shouldn't be that way. The law should determine the course of the case, but you're absolutely right. Um, yeah. Biases are out there. They're rampant. And in fact, it was John Adams who said, the colleague of Jefferson, obviously a great founding father as well, that we were to be a nation of laws and not men. But we become a, a nation of, of men and not laws. And that's mm -hmm. where we are today. And that's why we're sinking quickly into the bit, into the abyss. I mean, it's, Absolutely. It, yeah. And so yeah, I deal mostly in family court. And most of our followers have been through family court in some form or fashion. And they're well aware of the bias, of the corruption, of the... Um, it's really a circus in family court. So I know you handle cases far bigger than, than family court, but tell us your experience, personal experience. In family well, court. ironically, I've had clients come to me and say that, you know, I'd like you to represent me, Larry, in family court, because you're not that way, Melissa. I really admire you and what you do is that you're very independent. You would never sell out a client. You're not part of a club. Mm -hmm. You know, it was Groucho Marx that said, I wouldn't want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member. <laughs> that's the way I feel too but yeah I had, a, I had an experience with a, my former wife and it was a very sad experience I went through a difficult period in my life ultimately Jesus came to me and actually spoke to me and told me to clear my head out but what happened was this is that I got divorced back in the early 2000s and uh, my wife had moved to Cleveland, Ohio with the kids, and I could no longer see the kids. Uh, she was very spiteful, uh, retaliatory. She would keep them from me. I would come for visitation at great time and expense from Washington, D.C., later Florida when I was running for the U.S. Senate. <clears throat> and when I would get there, she would schedule things for them to do without my even being able to, to see them. Then I bought them these little cell phones. I forgot what they were called, but you could only call your mother, your father, and your grandparents, and, uh, and the police on 911. Firefly, I think they were called. And, and so she took them, away, that took them away from them and said, well, you can use it when your dad's in town. We don't need it when your dad's in town. Your dad wants to be able to talk to his kids. And it reached a breaking point, and I decided that I would sue for custody. And at that point, a very unscrupulous female family lawyer, not like you, uh, in Cleveland, decided to represent her. And they conjured up false allegations that I had sexually abused my son, mm. which, is, which is very common, you know, in family law. Yeah, they call the silver bullet. Yeah, I did, I did some research on that. And 90% uh, of those cases are thrown out of court. Even Charlie Sheen because Denise Richard tried that trick in California, in Los Angeles. The judge said, get the expert to delete it out of my courtroom to Denise Richards. But, but in Cleveland, Ohio, which is a very incestuous place, very close-knit, 
I'd lived there for a while to be with my kids. I still couldn't even see them on a regular basis. Uh, you know, the, the legal community was such that they all were in bed with each other. But the bottom line is this, is that I was cleared in the end, uh, both through an investigation by the Department of Children and Families, by the police department. But it caused me so much pain and distress. And if I wasn't such a strong person, uh, there are dads that have jumped off buildings over that, you know, and, and then my, my legal adversaries, you know, have tried to use that against me over the years, mm-hmm. you know, and because there's no holds barred anymore, like what they've done yeah. to the judge Moore and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, I sympathize and, and support the judge because I've been through similar things like that. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting, you know, and sad is that when children and families came out to interview my family, and they're not exactly unbiased people, they want scalps, they want male scalps, generally. Yeah, they do. Is they asked my daughter, did, did your dad ever uh, sexually abuse or, you know, or touch improperly your little brother? And she said, I don't know anything about that. I never saw anything like that. And she was much older. She mm-hmm. said, I just know what mommy told me, and she wouldn't lie mm-hmm. to me. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and, and my son knew nothing, you know, about it either. But this is a tactic which uh, divorce lawyers use, usually, you know, for the wife against the male. And you got to be very, very careful in how you deal with the kids if you've got an ex-wife like that, you know. So absolutely, that was the story. Very, very painful, very sad. And to this day, um, you know, she's alienated my children so much that I, I really don't see them. It's it's really really sad, and uh, so through this process, did you find that the courts were really concerned about your involvement with your kids? No, they weren't concerned with much of anything. They were concerned in scratching the backs of the people that uh, practiced in front of them on a daily basis. I remember during the custody trial that the magistrate actually was referring to the opposing counsel on her, with her first name. My lawyer, who was a nice guy, but not exactly the person you'd want to have represent you, <clears throat> um, you know, was hugging and patting the other lawyer on the back after she did this really heinous thing. Uh, you know, in divorce law, family law, frequently the lawyers, you know, split fees, refer cases. I mean, it's all one, quote, happy mm-hmm. family. And, uh, you know, it, it was a legal, a legal nightmare. And the judge hated me. He was a leftist. You know, I was a rightist. He, at that time, I had written my book, Whores, Why and How I Came to Fight the Establishment. And my, my family law judge, who wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, holds us up in front of him <laughs> during the case. And, and I guess he probably got a copy and didn't like much about what I wrote. <laughs> so yeah. it, it was bizarre. It was really bizarre. You know, it's crazy. False allegations have taken off. I think right now in the news, we got the the case of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, where initially she had said that Johnny had beat her. Now the recordings have came out. It was the other way around. She, mm-hmm. she, had, it, she had did it to him. But seeing these false allegations and the way they use it, it, it just disgusts me. I'm, I'm curious, though, seeing you, you know, fight against these injustices in court and then finding yourself going through a silver bullet. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you mentally? Well, that's a great question. Um, it was very, very difficult. Uh, difficult period in my life. I wanted custody of my kids because also they weren't being cared for in a proper way. Uh, I would, you know, visit Cleveland. I'd find them literally, they were, you know, six and eight years old, laying in the street in front of the house, 
there were 34 registered sex offenders in the neighborhood that my wife lived in with them. She would let them run free at night. And, you know, it just scared the heck out of me. And when you're down in Miami, Florida, running for the U.S. Senate, and, you know, after that, going back into private practice and creating Freedom Watch, uh, you know, you have a lot of angst. You have a lot of fear because you don't have any control and that something was going to happen to them. So that was a big factor as well, not just, you know, playing games and not letting me see them. So it was very, very difficult. And I, at that time also, when I moved from Washington, D.C., and went full-time in Florida when I ran for the U.S. Senate in 2003-2004 in the Republican primary, I injured my back. So I had tremendous uh, sciatica pain, back pain. Mm -hmm. Couple all that with what was going on, you know, it was, it was a nightmare at the time. It was, it was really, really terrible, and, you know. But the moral to the story is, is that, you know, God tests people. He put all the great figures in the Bible. I'm not equating myself with King David or, you know, whoever. But he, he, he tested them. He tested Jesus, his son. And you come out stronger and you come out better and you learn to appreciate things in life a lot better when you go through a period uh, like that. I agree. And I think going through something like that, you've come out better, stronger, smarter. But for me, it was with a sense of accountability. Like something has to change and people have to be accountable for allowing this to happen. So you have the silver bullet launched against you. It's unfounded. It's false. What happened to your ex-wife? Was anything brought up against her? Nothing. I, mean, I, yeah. I went back to the district attorney in Cleveland. I said, what are you going to do about these false statements? <clears throat> nothing. Because in today's world, uh, and I'm very pro-woman, I don't mean this in a negative way, but if you're a woman, you can bear false witness and walk off scot-free. doesn't matter. If you're a man, you're going to pay the price. And that's why I admire what you do, Melissa. I wish I had you as my lawyer. It might have been uh, over sooner. But uh, Well, Larry, let's talk from a legal perspective. One thing that always puzzles me is that as attorneys, we know if something is a fundamental constitutional right, the state has to have a a, uh, they, they have to meet a, a certain burden, right? That has to be a compelling state interest. But yet, the right to parent your children is a fundamental constitutional right, yet the family courts give themselves a pass and they just apply the best interest standard. So how is it, that, well, how is it that that's possible? How do you think the family courts can do that? They can say, we're gonna set aside your constitutional rights and we're gonna apply this amorphous best interest standard that really nobody can define and it's up to the individual judges to determine if you have the right to parent your children or not. Well, it's, it's outrageous. I mean, they play God. They do. Magistrates and judges. And again, they're all in bed with the local community. And maybe, you know, if I had millions of dollars and I could hire a very high-powered family lawyer, it might have not been as prolonged as it was. But, you know, the deck was stacked. And then, of course, Cleveland. Have you ever been to Cleveland? Once. Yeah, they call it the mistake on the lake. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I'm not joking. You go downtown and people are walking around aimlessly. It looks like the night of the living dead, essentially. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, I remember when I moved there because after my Senate campaign, I wanted to be closer to the kids. So I became a limited partner in a law firm named Walter and Haverfield. And I said, to, this is pretty funny. I, 
because I, I had my kids in Florida before all this started. You know, they would come visit me and I would bring them back, you know, on holidays. And my little daughter, Isabel, said to me, she said, Dad, why did you move here? I said, why do you ask that, Isabel? She says, this place is such a dump, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But the mentality of Cleveland when I moved there, because I figured I was a big fish in a little pond. I started to do television commentary. It was on Labor Day. I come on uh, on this guy named Dick Fielder show, a PBS show, and they have the union rep there from the AFL-CIO who says that corporations have destroyed Cleveland. And I said, gee, I thought it was the opposite. I thought it was the labor unions that destroyed them, mm-hmm. with the high wages moving out. And then the second topic on the show was Cleveland has slipped from the least desirable city to live in the United States to number three. Mm-hmm. And everybody was very disappointed they were no longer number one. Oh, wow. and, and, I, and I said, you know, tongue in cheek, because I like to be a little, you know, funny if I can from time to time. I said, you know, why don't we start over? Let's just have a, a contest. We'll rename the city. I actually like it here. I was had a positive attitude at first. And... Um, you know, create a new image for the city. But it, it's basically a city of people who are, you know, for lack of a better word, they just have a negative attitude towards life. And, and, and maybe that reflected itself in the fact that they didn't win a sports championship for 64 years until, mm. you know, recently with LeBron James. It's just, it's a negative city and it's very sad. So all of this together contributed yeah. to a very depressed state of mind. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I, I think cold. Uh, it's cold, it's wet, it's gray. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of our followers will tell you that it that's that's the, the mindset of family court in, in every state. I think we've had followers from every state and they're saying it's it's horrible, you know, where they are. One thing that people hope, that our dads hope, is that as their children get older, they recognize that they've been brainwashed or alienated or they see the truth and they reconcile that relationship. What do you think was the biggest barrier for you in reconciling your relationship with your children? My ex-wife, you know, who had had them under her control and, you know, disparaging me, defaming me. Um, You know, for instance, she used to take the pleadings that I would file in the custody case. And I, I took it over myself because my family lawyer wasn't really very good and he was basically figuratively speaking, in bed with the opposing lawyer. So I don't think he was actually in bed with her because she's a lesbian, so it didn't happen. But uh, she would read the pleadings to them, you know, to get them upset. And, uh, I mean, who who would do that with their kids? You know, I even went, um, she's Catholic, and my kids were raised Catholic. I went to the priest in the parish, and I said, would you intervene? You know, I tried to avoid litigation. Priests wouldn't do it because they made a lot of donations to to the Catholic Church there. It was a very bizarre Catholic Church with the priest called Reverence. I'm not sure exactly, you know, what the deal was there. But mm-hmm. there came a point in time after this alienation when I tried to uh, solve it. And I went back to the court and I, and I had a, a basically a, a good female magistrate who was understandable understanding, not the prior one wasn't, he was a nightmare, a guy named Larry Loeb. And she tried to put us together again, and, and she suggested that we do, you know, psychological counseling, you know, I don't, I forget what you call it, um, you know, recalibrating one's approach to things. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't work. And I had seen on the internet that my son um, was tweeting disparaging statements about African Americans. He was retweeting it. He was using the N-word. Mm-hmm. And I put in a pleading that this is not the way to raise a child, to teach them to do that or to allow that to happen. And, you know, it, it frankly shows that they're not being raised in a proper fashion. Mm-hmm. They're being raised, in effect, like white trash, mm-hmm. to be honest. What was it like to see your son doing that on the screen? Oh, it was terrible. So, yeah. I, I, you know, when I met with him, with you know, in the presence of a psychologist, <clears throat> first thing he says to me, my son, and my son's a good kid. I think there's some hope that someday things will be reconciled. Okay. He says, you called me a white supremacist. <laughs> I didn't call you a white supremacist. I said, <clears throat> you know, I just, you shouldn't use that kind of language with people. Mm-hmm. But that's what she would do. She would read them the pleadings, you see. And it was, you know, clever, but very evil. Yeah, a really evil thing to do. So how did the court address that? You put in a pleading, it's a valid concern. And the court did what? Sent you to some sort of therapy. Is that right. what the court did? That was yeah, it. that was it. And they will make a decision. And I guess I didn't even make the right point later. Is that Cleveland is a very parochial city. Most people, young people who live in Cleveland, leave and go somewhere else. I mean, it's just, it's just such a depressing place. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a travel log on the Internet, which starts off, it's, it's a, a parody. It says um, the main industry is LeBron James. You can, you can develop your film in the Cuyahoga River. You can buy a house for the price of a VCR. <laughs> and it goes on and on. It says it could be worse, could be Detroit. Well, that's the mentality. So the people there, I mean, I had some good friends there. I'm not talking about everybody. They circle the wagons. They feel like they're persecuted. You know, so this outsider, Larry Clayman, is living in Miami, Florida, which is like Sin City in their mind. Um, you know, we have to resist and we're not going to do him any favors. So I was hometown in many ways. Yeah. It wasn't from Some of our followers say that the court spent more time on the issues of child support and alimony and property than they do the, the children, which should be the other way around. The most important thing is relationship with the kids, with both parents. So did you find that the court's priorities were reversed? Yes, well, and that, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that with regard to the uh, child support because, um, you know, I was paying a lot of money. Between alimony and child support, I was paying $11,000 a month. Oh, my gosh. Five years old. Yeah. And I would, you know, go to Cleveland, and my kids were eating rice and beans, mm-hmm. tenders, and tacos. <laughs> right? Yep. So my daughter and son, my daughter would say to me in particular, Dad, can we go get a steak? You know, I really want a steak. <laughs> you know, so I would take them out for a steak. And it was, it was, and there's no way, you know, that you can regulate, you can get the courts to look at how the money is being spent. Yep. And I believe that my ex-wife would just pocket it. And, uh, and her soon to be, uh, you know, new husband. So th- this was a problem too. And that's why also I, you know, I went back to court because I wanted to make sure the money was being spent on them, but the courts wouldn't address that. It's, they just don't get into that. I don't know about Alabama, but they won't yeah. do it in Ohio. They won't do it in Virginia. Nope, they won't. No, that's, that's one thing is, is a lot of my clients spend a lot of money for child support. Kids come over, 
shoes are too small, shoes are ripped. And we've asked the courts and it's a resounding no every time. It's not allowed to, to ask where the child support is spent. That's absurd, but you're correct. Well, and I, and I had a, she was like a sister to me. She was my um, office manager at Judicial Watch in the Miami office. She later was my chief of staff on my Senate campaign, Sandy. And Sandy would, when the kids would come down before the custody thing started, she would see how badly they were dressed. She would take them out, spend her own money yeah. and buy them clothes. She and her husband, Jose, a nice person. Um, so I was wondering where the money was going. And then of course I'm paying child support and alimony. And later on, I couldn't even see my kids. I mean, and when I ran for the U.S. Senate, um, you know, I didn't do too well on the last night. I was doing okay up to that point in time. And I was not in a good mood. And I wanted to talk to my kids and I couldn't even get them on the line. I mean, that was, you know, their dad. But they're good kids. Maybe someday they'll come around. Maybe they'll, they'll need money and come see dad. You know, not that I have that much. <laughs> but, and, and at one point, uh, later on, my son Lance uh, sent me a text saying, Dad, can I get a, a mini I, iPad? And I said, I'll be happy to get you a mini iPad, Lance. This was after all this happened. And I put, I love you, Lance, on the back. And I sent it to him. And apparently he had been using the cell phone of my ex-wife to text me on that. And he thanked me. And I was communicating with him. She took that away from him, uh, ultimately. And, and I didn't hear from him, you know, since. So I don't know what went on. But uh, it really was evil. And uh, to this day, it, it hurts me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I, mean, this I, is a... I can smile and, and, you know, and joke because that's my nature, but, but it really hurts a lot. Hurts yeah. me a lot. I think this is the biggest civil rights issue of our time is parents allowed to be parents. So we see all the statistics and all the damage that's been done when fathers are removed from the lives of kids or every other weekend dads or not even that. But, you know, this is, like I said, this is probably our biggest civil rights issue because it affects nearly gosh, but at least half of the families out there and more than that, because we have a lot of unmarried fathers. So, and you know, you, here you are, you're this wonderful attorney. You've done so much. You ensure the freedoms of everyone else. And yet you step foot in a courtroom as a litigant and your freedoms are trampled on. How did that, how did right. that feel just, just as a, just as an attorney from a, from a rights perspective? Well, I was very frustrated and, and I struck back at that point. I was representing myself because my lawyer didn't have any real you know, strength yeah. to him. And it was very frustrating. And, you know, sometimes I would make statements that I probably shouldn't have made, you know, because I was frustrated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was terrible. It, mm -hmm. it was absolutely terrible. And the first day of the, the custody hearing, I come in with uh, my lawyer, Roger Kleinman. Might add. This is not an advertisement to, to hire Roger, believe me. <laughs> and nice guy, but, you know, just a, a milk toast. And I was going to represent myself at that point because I didn't trust him anymore. And the judge told him to, to either get out of the courtroom and either, either continue to represent me or get out of the courtroom. The judge, the magistrate wouldn't even let him advise me in my pro, in my uh, pro se capacity of representing mm -hmm. myself. I mean, it, it just was, you know, incredible to see those kinds of things. We hear a lot from um, soldiers who were deployed, who went to war, who come back, and they're so disenfranchised with the family court system because they raise their right hand, they go and fight for this country, defend the Constitution, then they walk into a courtroom and everything is stripped from them. Everything that matters, you know, their livelihood, their children, 
their house, they lose everything. They strip from well, them. So you're very unique, Melissa, and, and I think that's great. I don't know of any lawyer in this country that specializes in helping men who's, who's a woman. Um, you know, the, several years ago, it was Jay Leno when we had went through another recession, not as bad as we uh, have, have it today. Mm-hmm. Um, he got up and he, he did a joke on the Tonight Show saying the economy is so bad that Gloria Allred is now representing men. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm like the anti-Gloria Allred, definitely. <laughs> you're, you're the alter ego. Yes, yeah, definitely. You know, so, Larry, I, I saw you talking a little bit ago about, you know, everybody being in bed together. One thing I've been dying to ask you about, what is this book that you wrote? I saw that you wrote a book called Horrors. I'm interested to know a little bit about it. Yeah, Horrors, Why and How I Came to Fight the Establishment. I had a contract with Harper Collins at the time. Uh, Judith Regan, who ran that imprint. Uh, Judith is a genius in, in publications. Uh, she's the one who wanted to publish the book, If I Did It, with O.J. Simpson. Okay. And uh, Rupert Murdoch didn't care for that very much. He, he actually proved it at first, but then when it became a controversy, he wound up firing Judith, who had sold his, her company to Harper Collins. And my book went into purgatory for a while, but a, a publisher by the name of New Chapter Publisher eventually published it. And it, it basically says that kind of like Mark Twain in a way, or Ronald Reagan. The, the second oldest profession gives the, uh, the newest profession a bad name. Uh, Mark Twain used to say, the difference between prostitutes and lawyers is to get something of value from the prostitutes. You know, So he was joking, of course, and I don't agree with that, actually. But, but the, the point being is that in the legal world, and, and lawyers and judges, in our media, and in other aspects of society, people don't do things because they believe in it. They do it for money and they sell everybody out. They're prostitutes in effect. And that's what it was about. It was called Horrors, Why and How I Came to Fight the Establishment. It's my autobiography. You can find it at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. And I once sent it um, to Sheldon Adelson, who was the owner of the Venetian Empire for friend of mine who was a former double agent of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. He wanted to get Adelson's support to fight the mullahs in Tehran. And uh, so I sent my book. And Adelson's secretary says to me, what, what's this about? Horrors. And I said, well, you know, tell the girls down on Las Vegas Boulevard. It's not about them. It's about politicians, lawyers, and judges. I love and, it. And the media. And that's what it's about. I think you know, people will enjoy reading it. And, you know, one of the things about me is, as I'm on this show is that I don't pull any punches. I mean, I'm not in, uh, embarrassed of anything I've done or what I've done. It's all been a, a journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to sugarcoat things to, um, you know, either promote my profession or sell books. And mm-hmm. that's, what it, that's what I did. I mean, I laid it on the line as to the corruption in, in, the, in society and... Uh, you know, but things, have, as Melissa asked me, things have gotten a lot worse since then. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. What year did you write that book, Larry? I started writing it right after uh, the Senate campaign in 2004, in August 2004. But it wasn't actually published in 2000, until 2009. 
Okay. You know, I updated it uh, during that time period. So it's been over 10 years and things have just gotten worse. How can people, people need to get your book and I think to read it to really understand the depth of the corruption, but then what do people need to do? How can they get involved to help stop this or correct it? Well, they should get off the couch. Basically, they should turn off Fox News and Hannity, you know, if you're of our ideological persuasion, mm-hmm. and get to work. I mean, put the pop, I say put the popcorn down, the Diet Coke, the beer, and either join people like you, Melissa, or Freedom Watch or whatever, and play a positive role. I mean, for instance, right now, uh, I brought a class action lawsuit for a company in Dallas that was put out of business, Buzz Photos, by the coronavirus pandemic, COVID-19. And I've got over 2,000 people that have signed up to see if they will ultimately qualify to be class action litigants. Now, they're playing a role. Uh, Also, you know, to donate to groups like my own, uh, because we need to get bigger. We need to support this, to support people like our mutual client, Chief Justice Roy Moore, who stood up to the tyranny, you know, of the Democratic Party and and his own party that has stabbed him in the back. Uh, These are the the newest version of our founding fathers, these people. These are not the people you see on Fox News. Mm -hmm. Fox News has the same people every night. They don't want to ruffle feathers. They want to jingle the change. And same for MSNBC and CNN. So stop being entertained by what has become a scandal industry and actually do something to change this country. Try to change it peacefully and legally. I like that because it seems like modern media is more worried about ratings than solutions. Well, look at... Fox News started this, and then CNN and MSNBC picked it up. The coronavirus hits. They have these icons on the right-hand side of the screen. Right. Showing people dying second by second in the United States and around the world, scaring the heck out of people, right? That boosts ratings. It boosts advertising dollars. They're making money hand over fist. And it is cynical. It's wrong. It jacked the scandal up to a point, not scandal, this pandemic up to a point that we're now learning it's not as severe as people thought in many ways. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just terrible. People get hooked, you know, on these cable networks every night. That's all they do. They sit there and they watch this stuff. The same story over and over and over again. Same guests every night. Same monologue on Hannity. Just changes a few words. I mean, I can't watch it anymore. I turn on the tennis channel or the golf channel once I get the news. I don't want to hear it. You know, because if you really want to change this country, you have to do something about it, whether it's in the family law system or whether it's in our corrupt justice department that doesn't hold anybody accountable, that's mm-hmm. part of the swamp, the beautiful people. Um, I mean, look at our current attorney general. I mean, except for moving to dismiss the Michael Flynn indictment. And remember, you know, I'm sympathetic of the general. But he's part of that Washington establishment, the Republican establishment. So they'll do it for him. But they won't lift a hand with what happened to Judge Moore, or they don't lift a hand to my client, the Bundys, who after their indictment was dismissed by a hostile Obama judge, that's how bad it was, prosecutorial misconduct. The Trump Justice Department takes an appeal I mean, mm-hmm. to, to overturn the dismissal. I've got an oral argument on Friday. So we have no Justice Department. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist for the ordinary person. And, uh, you know, that's why I do what I do. And I hope people will join me in doing that. And they can yeah. go to freedomwatchusa.org, sign up, 
to see if you qualify for the class action against the Chinese. Why should we have to pay for the massive damage they have done? Why should taxpayers, you know, empty out our pockets to, so we're bankrupt? Our kids and grandchildren will live in abject poverty. Mm-hmm. And uh, not a word is said, not even the president. I like the president. He seems to be, uh, you know, cowed by the, by the Chinese. It's not enough to say it's a Chinese virus. What are we doing to, to, to pay for it? What are we doing to hold the Chinese accountable? Currently, nothing. And I have a criminal case in the Hague Holland that I filed against them, International Criminal Court. The court seems to be taking it seriously and processing it. You know, even the Europeans' ox has been gored here. So, you know, when they're affected, they, they sober up. And Africa, Asia, I'm getting calls all over the world. I brought a case in Jerusalem, Israel, against the communist Chinese, great Israeli law firm working with me. Um, you can join all of that. You know, feel like you're part of the solution, not the problem, as Ronald Reagan used to say. Yeah. Uh, one of our few great presidents. Well, that's great advice because I think a lot of people don't know what to do. They don't know how to get involved, and it feels like just one person, one voice. So you brought up the coronavirus. So who would be eligible to join you in this class action lawsuit? Well, anybody that lives in the United States and, and has been damaged. Okay. And uh, I mean, that would be sufficient, you know, citizen, a permanent resident, someone who's here. I mean, there'll be challenges to jurisdiction, I'm sure. Uh, and of course, the case has to go through a preliminary period where, you know, we seek class certification and that kind of thing. But I think this case may be different. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter whether you get a leftist judge or a rightist judge or a middle of the road judge. We all have been severely damaged and affected by this. And although Dallas is not the most conservative city in Texas, uh, Texas is a lot more conservative than the rest of the country and so is mm-hmm. the Fifth Circuit. So maybe we've got a shot and we'll give it a, you know, a college try. Yeah. All right. Well, Larry, what advice would you give to dads who are maybe in the position that you were in when you were going through the divorce with your former, your former wife and your kids were being alienated from you? What advice would you give them? That's a great question. I'm not sure I have the answer to that. Uh, You may have the answer to that. If you look in retrospect, um, suing for custody, you know, ignited a firestorm with a very dishonest former wife and created a lot of pain for me and for my kids. But I'm not, I'm a fighter. I'm not someone that would walk away. You know, I, I would do it again. Maybe I'd do it a little differently, but uh, I still would do it. And my best, my advice to them was would be to hire a lawyer like you, Melissa. That would be the best thing you could do. I appreciate that, Larry. Well, I know that I think you have somewhere to be, so we're, we won't go a full hour tonight. But where can our followers, where, where, where can they find you, follow you, friend you, and just follow your work? I would go Join to freedomwatchusa.org. Join our Justice League. You're the superheroes, not the government. And so freedomwatchusa.org. And my private website is larryclayman.com. You can see what I'm doing there. Uh, There's some references to the cases we're working on together there because I also have a private practice. But, uh, yes, I would like people to sign up. You can get free newsletters. You can, you know, participate in other ways. And sign up for the class action to see whether you'll qualify. I mean, this is, it needs to be done and support our criminal case in the Hague against the communist Chinese in particular, but we have other cases too. I, 
we have a lot of defamation cases. It's a growth industry, whether it's mm -hmm. Chief Justice Roy Moore, whether it's Sheriff Joe Arpaio, whether it's Dr. Jerome Corsi, who, you know, fortunately, uh, my legal efforts helped not to get him indicted by Mueller's witch hunt prosecutors, or whether it's Laura Loomer, who's fighting the good fight, you know, in Florida, she's now running for Congress, mm -hmm. or a Laurie Loon, a client of mine who stood up to Roger Ailes and was crushed, uh, you know, seriously affected. Uh, you know, I represent people who, you know, need a lawyer like me, a strong lawyer or a lawyer like you that isn't afraid to take on the establishment. And the establishment does come back. I know I've seen some pleadings where the other side, the leftist lawyers have made just straight out lies about, you know, pleadings about you. So you're used to, to taking a lot of arrows and you're used to having to stand up to the bad guy. I've seen it firsthand. Well, they didn't want me in the case in Alabama. And they did not. Judge overruled them. Incidentally, one of the lawyers in our cases is a guy named Mark Arias, who's from Perkins Coy. That's, he and his partner, Stafford, I forget his first name, are the ones who allegedly laundered $12 million of Hillary's uh, presidential campaign funds to purchase the Steele dossier, which uh, triggered the Russian witch hunt. These are the kinds of people we're up against. Mm -hmm. These are the lawyers of the Democratic Party. And I, I brought a, and you'll love this one. Uh, I can stay over. Uh, okay. You know, we can finish this. But I represent George Zimmerman. Okay, this is a perfect example. Zimmerman was actually active in community outreach. He's a Democrat. He was helping African-American kids. And, you know, he was set up uh, for a fall, potentially life imprisonment. And he was acquitted of self-defense, despite all of the publicity and all of the race baiters and vigilantes like Al Sharpton, con men, you know, that were trying to get him put away. And, of course, uh, Obama supported that, too. You remember Obama's comments uh, if I had a son, he would look like Trayvon Martin. Mm -hmm. Well, on the 25th anniversary of Trayvon, excuse me, on the anniversary of, of Trayvon's death recently during the primary, the Democratic primary, Pete Buttigieg and, and Elizabeth Warren weren't doing very well with the African-American community. You know, African-Americans are very smart people. They understand, you know, when somebody's a phony or a fraud. <laughs> they didn't like him very much. They were too slick for them. I, that's my interpretation. So to try to win African-American votes, both of them came out on Trayvon's birthday and said that George Zimmerman was a white supremacist. Unbelievable, right? Mm -hmm. And that he believes in gun violence. So George Zimmerman is not a white supremacist. He's the opposite. And that was defamatory. So I sued... Buttigieg and Warren wound up in federal court in Orlando. I filed in state court. It was removed because of diversity of citizenship, as lawyers say. And who's the lawyer that enters into that case? The same one that we're up against with oh, the judge, okay. the Democrats, you know? So this is what I go through all the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've become very tough. And in many ways, Melissa, to get back to the main point, is that what I went through with my children and my ex-wife toughened me up a lot. There's very mm -hmm. little that can affect me anymore. And, uh, you know, and, and Jesus came to me. I'll give a little bit of my testimony if I have time. Um, and and she, he came to me and after uh, I was representing a client that I cared about and, and the judge was very political and dismissed the case. 
and I was very upset. That night, I totaled my car on a freeway in Los Angeles, and uh, I limped home. I had a concussion the next day. Uh, my car was wrecked. Fortunately, I didn't get killed. Three days later, <clears throat> I'm driving down Ventura Boulevard to go to the office. And I'm saying to myself, he says, you know, I'm trying to justify what I've gone through with my ex-wife, with my former colleagues at Judicial Watch. You know, Fitton is not the person that he appears to be on television, very jealous person, did many things to try to hurt me and work with my ex-wife to do that. A lot of false allegations that he spread. Oh, wow. And, and, and I'm saying to myself, trying to put everything in perspective, I said, Larry, you're you're not Jesus, okay, but you are a revolutionary. He was a revolutionary. And, you know, maybe this is the price that is paid. And at that point, I, I got this tremendous warmth and adulation. He'd come to me years earlier when I, because I'm of Jewish origin, and I became a Christian, a Jewish Christian. Mm -hmm. Much like a Martin who used to work for Missile Rest in Peace yeah. for the for Justice Roy Moore. So I'm, I'm trying to justify in my mind, and all of a sudden this tremendous worth, warmth comes to me, and I hear him talking to me in thoughts, not in words. And I thought maybe I was just inducing it, you know, so I'd feel better. And I pulled to the side of the road, <clears throat> and it builds and builds and builds for 30 to 45 seconds. And he says to me, Larry, clear your head out. You're working for me now. You will pay a price, but I'm with you. You're working for me now. Okay. And I, you know, I, I look for his guidance every single day. Uh, I may not always do the right thing, but uh, ever since that, and he'd come to me years earlier and said, I exist while I was sitting in a Catholic church at Christmas mm -hmm. with my ex-wife. I was going through a tough period then. My grandmother just died. I was fighting the Clintons. They were trying to destroy me. And he said, Larry, I do exist. You can accept me. And I became a Christian, mm -hmm. you know, full-fledged at that point. And um, so, that, you know, I'm very lucky in that regard. And there's really little to nothing that can knock me off my rocker at this point in my life. You mentioned you were fighting the Clintons. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, I have the world indoor record for bringing lawsuits against the Clintons and their administration. I think I must have sued them at least 80 times. I'm the only lawyer ever to have a court rule that Bill Clinton committed a crime when he released And you're still here? Sorry. Yeah, but you know what? To be <laughs> candid, to be candid, I didn't score the knockout punch because no judge would actually go the distance. And, and the Clintons came back with a vengeance. They, I call them the Bonnie and Clyde of American politics. And uh, they came back with a vengeance. And they've committed one you know, criminal act after another, uh, the Clinton Foundation being the last uh, one of the last uh, uh, racketeering enterprises, uh, you know, the Clinton email scandal with the 33,000. And this is what I'm talking about, guys, is that they're untouchable. These, the elite are untouchable yeah. by the establishment department of justice, because what we've got now in this country is a state of mutual assured destruction. You've got the deep state intelligence agencies that have dirt on everybody. They will use it. And you know, what we have are, people that go on Fox News on our side for show and not for dough, that promise things that aren't going to happen. They're doing it to raise money, to be reelected, and uh, there's no justice. And so that's why I do what I do 
at Freedom Watch. Again, people can go to freedomwatchusa.org. And it's why uh, you do what you do. And there are very few lawyers in this country, like you, Melissa, who have the guts to stand up to the establishment. Very few. Uh, most of them are the whores that I talked about in my book. I regret to say that, but our legal profession um, is a cesspool. You're absolutely right. It is a cesspool. And I think it's it's so hard for attorneys on the inside to stand up. I know a lot of good attorneys who just abandoned the profession and they just went on to do something else. And the ones who are in the profession are too afraid to speak up. So it's um, you're right. It's, it is a huge cesspool. And I actually was hoping that federal court would be better than state court, but... Um, you're not uh it's much worse because they're not accountable to the people and that's what jefferson said now he was in paris when they sent him a copy of the of the uh, constitution he was yeah. our minister to the court there and after the french revolution he was actually an architect of the french revolution as well and he looked at this thing and he said i don't like this provision about federal judges they're unelected they're going to become despots and then we're going to have to shed the blood of patriots someday he you believed, think that's going to happen, Larry? He, he, Jefferson openly advocated violent revolution. That's why he was such a supporter mm -hmm. of the French mm -hmm. in many ways. He didn't see any other way to do that. Now, I'm trying to avoid that. I don't advocate that. I don't want to see that. We're trying legal means. So we have citizens' grand juries, which we commissioned. We indicted Mueller last fall. Uh, it is legal. Justice Scalia, may his soul rest in peace, uh, one of the few good ones, said that the grand jury doesn't belong to the three branches of government. It belongs to the American people. And there's a history of citizens' grand juries in England, in, in many states throughout the United States. And if you follow procedures which are, you know, fair and neutral and don't stack the jury and, you know, don't try to unduly prejudice, prejudice, uh, the, the people have a right to enforce their own justice system because our Justice Department and judges aren't doing it. Yeah. Now, the dilemma comes when you try to enforce the sentences after you, you try these people in a you know, people's court. And I don't advocate violence, but yeah. it, it was an educational experience. And you can see it at freedomwatchusa.org. We actually videoed the grand jury. I followed the same procedures that the Justice Department would use in front of a grand jury, for the most part, little mm -hmm. variants every here, here and there. But what's our, what is our alternative other than violent revolution if we cannot? address the ethical and moral decay and legal decay in our society. And it's, it's getting worse and worse and worse. You know, Larry, when I started this podcast, it was because I didn't feel like mainstream media represented us. And I wanted to speak out about it. You mentioned this with George Zimmerman. I didn't know that until you started speaking on it. And I'm not here to speak on each side, either side of the aisle. But one, one really big thing and trend well, I see going on. Let me interrupt real quickly, Eric. Yeah. What happened to George and why I represent him now in lawsuits is that a false witness was presented who, who allegedly took the call from George that from a Trayvon that night. And God forbid he could have been convicted and gotten life term on that. And uh, what we allege in the complaint is that the Trayvon Martin family and its lawyer, Benjamin Crump, and even the state prosecutor all colluded to set George Zimmerman up. There's now a book and a, and a, a documentary about that uh, uh, written and produced by Joel Gilbert, a Hollywood filmmaker who's an investigative reporter, which documents it in excruciating detail. 
So, you know, you got to stand up for people like this. You can't believe what you hear in the media. And when that was exactly what I was going to ask you is like, you know, we see cases like that and what's going on nowadays with the trend. It's race is just such a big thing with media. It gets the people fueled up. It, it gaslights them and they tune in and they make ratings. It doesn't matter if this one's got left or this one's got right. It's, it's good for ratings and they've got enough people. To drinking the go with their business. Let me give you a, a recent example. We have a few minutes. Roger Stone. Okay. Roger Stone is not a good person. Roger Stone is a self-styled dirty trickster. But the promotion here is that he's been wronged. Now, he feared Jerry Corsi, my client. Corsi was person number one in his indictment. Randy Credico was person number two. Stone was convicted on five counts of perjury, one of obstruction of justice, and the other witness tampering. Threatened Credico and his dog, uh, sub tried to suborn perjury. Credico would lie. Now, the mantra that you'll see on Fox and other places is Roger was set up, he was abused, whatever. He didn't present. I was at the trial because I monitored it for Jerry Corsi. He didn't put on one witness. And the few documentary evidence that he had actually incriminated him. He was convicted in his own words. Any jury from the District of Columbia or anywhere else would have convicted Roger Stone. And it's not okay to lie under oath. It's not okay to threaten witnesses. Our justice system can't function if you do that. Mm -hmm. But people take drink the Kool-Aid, as we say. Right. Because it's fashionable now to do that, is that he was wronged. Well, you know what? Stone's now out there equating himself with General Flynn. He shouldn't be in the same room with General Flynn. Okay, General Flynn made some mistakes, but General Flynn is, is a hero and a patriot. Roger Stone is somebody who unfortunately our president has associated with in the past, and I hope that he will no longer do that in the future. And he shouldn't be giving him a pardon. You know, he, he should, he'll get out in, in a year to 18 months, even if, if he's committed. But you can't allow that to happen in, in, our, in our world. But everybody thinks Roger Stone's a hero. He's raised millions of dollars, didn't present one witness, didn't take the stand himself. So how is it that he wants a new trial? What's he going to do next time? He'll be convicted even quicker. And that's not to say that District of Columbia don't have, doesn't have biased jurors. I mean, it's a, it's a Democrat town, and it wouldn't matter what jury you got, uh, you'll be convicted. So that's, the, that's an example of what Eric's talking about, is that you know, people believe what they hear on TV, and, and these pundits come on, they don't know what they're talking about, whether it's Stone or anybody else. They just have talking points that are given to them. I just don't feel like they represent the actual will of or what's going on with the people. Look at what's going on with us in family court. We sat here and we, we've had many shows about it. They don't talk about us. That is, that is something that is going on every day. And it's one of the most important issues, yet they stay silent on it. They want to push these over issues over here because it gaslights the people. It gets them watching. It gets them commenting. And it fuels the narrative. I just, I'm completely against what I'm seeing on me. Well, look, look at uh, Nancy Grace. You remember her? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. You're a little young, okay? She would come on every night and trash people, you know, like John Benet, Lindsay's parents, and, yep. and whoever, yep. and destroy them before they even had their day in court. I mean, you know, it's despicable. It's absolutely mm -hmm. despicable. And Geraldo Rivera used to do the same thing, uh, you know, and it, it's just. You're tried in the media, and once you're tried in the media, you're dead. Yeah. Uh, another quick example, we're talking about the coronavirus. You know, the, the anthrax attacks 
uh, after 9-11. That was a strain of anthrax that we had developed in our own laboratory in Virginia. And we gave it to Saddam Hussein and to use against the Iranians. Bush the dad, Cheney and Rumsfeld gave it to him and it got out, much like this coronavirus got out of this Chinese lab in Wuhan. And the FBI couldn't solve the crime. So they set two people up, a guy named Hatfill and there was another name because they didn't want to show how incompetent they were that this happened. And one of them wound up committing suicide because of the media, because of the humiliation. Richard Jewell's another one, Clint Eastwood made a movie about it recently. They set him up for the bombing in Atlanta, federal mm -hmm. government. And uh, it's terrible. And that's what happens in family court is that these men get trashed. And people who have been in my predicament, I did some research on it, a lot of them jump off the roof. Yep. You know, because of the, the humiliation and the pressure and the being ostracized, you know, by society. Yep. And, um, you know, it's terrible. And who comes to their defense? You do, Melissa, but there are very few who will do it for anyone who doesn't have a million dollars to put cold cash mm -hmm. on the table. Yeah. And Larry, you're right. You know, we have corruption in courts. We have corruption in politics. The media facilitates all this. But, you know, the last couple of years or so, it's been obvious that the FBI, the, the CIA, the ATF, you know, we had uh, David Thibodeau and um, Gary Nesner from Waco on uh, last week, week before. And it's obvious that it's, it's not just our courts anymore. It's not just our politicians. It's everywhere. It's, our, it's the Department of Justice. Where, where is the accountability? And do you think we can get it back? Well, that's, that's the dilemma that we face. And, you know, I write columns every week, yeah. WorldNet Daily. You can find them at freedomwatchusa.org. I have a radio show like you, your show, Special Prosecutor with Larry Clayman. You've been on it. I do podcasts every morning educating people, getting them to rise up, to demand more of our public officials and to be more discerning in what they hear, you know, on cable news and, and, and what they read. Uh, it was the printing press that the colonialists and founding fathers used to coalesce the colonies, to get them to unite, to fight a war against Great Britain, which we ultimately won with the help of the French, by the way. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's powerful. We have to educate. And of course, we're frozen off of, you know, the mainstream networks. And, you know, it's, you just have to get it out there. Fortunately, we have social media today and, yeah. and the Internet. People are smarter than you think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think we, we find that out definitely, especially when the media goes live or they have their videos. You read the comments and the, the people are much smarter than what they're giving us credit for. I agree. Yeah, you know, and the president himself, uh, you know, I, I really like the president. You know, I support him personally. I'm going to vote for him personally. I can't say, tell people to vote for as the head of Freedom Watch, but, but um, he sees it for what it is. And look what he's going through. And, you know, he was forced to take his eye off the ball with the coronavirus because of the impeachment and everything that was going on. There, I'm, I'm sure the NSA and CIA and the rest gave intelligence briefings on this. I mean, they have mass surveillance. Um, two senators, three senators on Capitol Hill, Richard Burr, of the, um, who was chairman of the Senate Intel Committee until he recently had to resign, and uh, Dianne Feinstein, senator from California, and one other, sold all their stock before the American people even knew yeah. about COVID-19. Obviously, the government knew what was going on. We were sold out by our own government. 
They didn't mm -hmm. give us the clarion call. They were not Paul Revere and, and warn us of, you know, the, not the red coats, but the red Chinese were coming, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, this is what you deal with. You can't believe a word the government says. I'm a child of, you know, the baby boomer. And then Johnson lied about Vietnam. You know, he got us into the, into the war with a phony Gulf of Tonkin attack from the North Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. Then we have Richard Nixon and Watergate. Then we have, uh, you know, Bill Clinton with 40 plus scandals with his lovely wife, Hillary. Then we've got George W. Bush, you know, who wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer yeah. and accepted intelligence that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. And look, look at, you know, what that did, what a mess that made going on, on uh, how many years? Uh, 19 years of war mm -hmm. after that, the longest war in American history that still isn't over. And then, of course, we have Barack Obama whipping up racial division and hatred among the races. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then we've got Robert Mueller and, and the, uh, the jackals on Capitol Hill that tried to wage a coup d'etat against our president. Mm -hmm. How do American people believe anything the government says anymore? They can't. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Well, Larry, I'm sure glad you're doing all this. You're, you're like the only attorney I know that will, that will take on these hard cases, you know, suing the, the Chinese government for the coronavirus and just recognizing and speaking very candidly, it's hard to find anymore because everyone's too afraid or they have uh, political aspirations and they don't want to be um, on record telling the truth. So I commend you and, and I'm, it's an honor to get to work alongside you in a, in a few I cases. feel the same way, Melissa. You, you are the same way. We're good partners. And uh, I guess one of the nicest things, just to top it off, is that what someone said about me, and it isn't true of lawyers uh, other than people like yourself, the few that exist. Uh, Joseph Farah, the owner of WorldNet Daily, once said in a Washington Post story that was written about me, Larry Klayman versus everyone. He said, the thing about Larry, which is different, is that he doesn't do things that are always in his self-interest. Mm -hmm. You have to do what's in the interest of this country. That's right. And lay it on the line. Our founding fathers did that. They risked their lives. They pledged their fortunes and their sacred honor to form a new nation. The least we can do is to bring lawsuits to try to bring about justice. That's right. That's right. Well, Larry, I appreciate you coming on, my man, again. Guys, he's got two different podcasts going on. Please go and visit him and his websites, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you a little bit later on down the road. And, and I wish you luck on, on that uh, class action. I think everybody needs to check into that, that you know, make sure you go you and see. You guys are great. And I hope to have you on, on my show again, too, both of you. Yes, so, absolutely. You're, you're a technological wizard, Eric. He is. is. <laughs> he is. Something that I, don't, I don't possess that skill. All right. All right. Y'all have a good night. Oh, Thank you God again. Bless. Thank you for joining us tonight. We are fighting for the rights of parents worldwide. If you want to help support our podcast and for us to continue this mission, please join us at patreon.com slash dadtalktoday. You will find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, CloudHub, Parlor, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, the podcast app, Google, Apple Podcasts. We're a little bit of everywhere. And guys, every time you like and subscribe, you help us continue this mission. Thank you, and we will see you next time.